Hey, Christ community, glad you are joining us online. I am honored to be a part of your walk with Christ today. Before we jump into the message, I wanted to take a couple of minutes and let you know about a need in our church. We're family here, and so we want to share openly about any challenges that we as a church are facing. And right now, we are facing a pretty significant financial challenge. The good news is that over the last eight months since COVID hit, our church has stepped up Um, to continue to minister to people in this time of need. We've expanded our digital ministry, which is enabling us to minister to people beyond this region. I got a note from someone in Tennessee thanking us for our online services. It's also enabling us to provide a powerful worship experience for those who are not comfortable with in-person gatherings. In addition to our online presence, we're providing three in-person services each week with full children's ministry, 13 people are being baptized in our in-person services this weekend. We also just launched a college ministry this fall that is thriving. We are ministering to people experiencing marital difficulties and needing emotional support. I mean, just a cool story. We recently provided comfort and a memorial service for a family who has lost, just recently lost a loved one in a tragic accident. And this family reached out to our church just through relational connections. But afterwards, One of the family members told someone that she had given up on her faith in God, but after she experienced our team ministering to their family, she is now wanting to re-explore her faith. I mean, the last eight months have provided an increase in ministry opportunities that we as a church have wholeheartedly embraced. However, the problem is our giving has not kept pace with that. When COVID hit, we immediately froze spending In our new budget in August, we made significant reductions to try to manage this season financially. But even with all of that, we are currently about 22% behind budget. If this doesn't turn around, we're going to have to start looking at some significant ministry reduction. So we just wanted to honestly let you know where we're at financially and to ask you to pray about this need. Now, we realize this is a difficult season financially for some people, and that you may not be in a position to respond to this need, which is totally fine. But we also know that many people are doing okay in this season, and that this may be a spirit-led opportunity to increase your year-end generosity toward the ministry of your church. Maybe you're new to Christ's community and have just recently started watching services online, or maybe it's been a really long time since you gave to this church. This would be a great opportunity to jump in and partner with what God is doing here. Or maybe you have been giving, but it hasn't been as as intentional as you would like. This would be a wonderful time to make a commitment to give regularly, a set amount every month. Our online giving platform is really easy to set this up. Or maybe you're like me. You are being blessed by the ministry of Christ's community. You love the vision that God is calling us to pursue together. You are already regularly giving to this church, but you believe that maybe God is asking you to give a gift above that um, for this particular season. Whatever your situation, would you pray about this need? Would you just, we're asking you just to pray about it. If God leads you to invest in the ministry of this church, there are several ways you can give. You can give in person at our giving stations. You can, you can um, <clears throat> text to give. You can give online. You can, e- you can mail a check. If you have any questions about any of this, feel free to email me or Doug Bowen, our church administrator. And I just want to say thank you for being a part of the Christ Community family. God is using you. 
God is using you. He is using this church to impact more and more people for him. So let me just lead us in a, a word of prayer about this need before we jump in to the message. So God, thank you for this church and the way you're using this church to impact all of our lives and even people beyond this. We're grateful and we acknowledge to you this need, this need, financial need that we have. We entrust this to you and we pray that you would move in the hearts of your people to respond to this need as you lead us in that way and that you would provide so that ministry could continue to happen and expand and impact more and more people. So we love you. We know you love this church. We love this church. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to invest in it in so many ways. So lead us, we pray, Holy Spirit. Meet this need, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am so excited about the message today. We are finishing up this teaching series in which we've been focusing on a passage of scripture that God laid on my heart a couple months ago. I really believe God has his hand on this passage for our church in this season. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. And in this passage, God is speaking directly to his people and he's letting them know about a huge blind spot they have. So in the first part of this chapter, we see the people are seeking God and they're praying and they're fasting. But God says, I'm not listening. <clears throat> I am not listening to you. And the reason I'm not listening is because you are missing something that's very important to me. And God says what you're missing is, he says to his people, what you're missing is the issue of justice. God says to his people in verse six, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. God wants his people to be actively pursuing justice. But what Isaiah reveals is that his definition of justice, God's definition of justice, is often different than our definition. So for, for, for me, for years, I understood God's justice to be only about him punishing sin and evil, which is certainly a part of God's justice, but it is not the whole picture. When you look at Isaiah 58 and the rest of scripture, you, you begin to realize that God's justice also includes, it means his concern for the vulnerable, for the needy, for the, the orphan, the widow, those who are victims of injustice. God wants us to be concerned about these people as well. So for the past few weeks, we have been looking, we've been walking verse by verse through Isaiah 58 really and, and looking at three specific issues that God mentions in this chapter as being part of our call to bring healing justice to our society. So those, those issues are all summarized in verses 9 and 10. So if you do away with the yoke of oppression, we looked at that three weeks ago, the ministry we have of lifting people's burdens, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, we talked about that last week, the power of words to either hinder or help healing justice happen. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, we talked about that two weeks ago, our, our calling to give to those in need of food and shelter. And, I, and by the way, I talked to a friend of mine who after that message got his family together, his little kids and family, and they began putting together these gift bags in gallon-sized bags just uh, for homeless people with socks and chapstick and some money. And they've been giving these out around town, which is really, really cool. So then, then it says, if you do those three things, <clears throat> then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I mean, don't you love that promise? 
as we give ourselves to these issues of justice, we are going to shine in the darkness all around us. I mean, can we all agree that there is a lot of darkness in our world today? And God calls us not to curse the darkness, but to shine his light by living out his loving justice. Okay, so what I want to do today in this final message of this series, I want to take all the things we've been learning in this chapter about God's justice, and I want us to explore how we might apply those things to a specific and very relevant and controversial issue in our culture today. We're basically going to do a case study. This is sort of like our final exam, okay? <clears throat> now, before I state the issue, I want to remind us of something. Trying to figure out what healing justice looks like is often not a simple, easy, clear-cut process. It is, it is often complex, as we're going to see, and we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with that because it means there will be disagreement, there will be pushback, there will be wrestling and tension, and all of that is okay. As, I, as I've said throughout this series, let's move toward the tension. If we feel anger or something stirring, ask God about that. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's move toward the tension because it's in the tension that we find and experience God's heart. So what I want us to explore together is how to wrestle with and think through issues of justice biblically. Again, we're doing a case study, but that's the bigger thing. How do we wrestle with and think through these issues of biblical justice, um, how do we, the, of healing justice biblically, so that we can move toward healing solutions? That's the goal. Okay, so the topic I want us to look at today is, is immigration. And when I say immigration, I'm talking specifically about undocumented people. We're not focusing on refugees in our community who have an official legal status. We're going to focus on people who are here in our country, in our community, who are here illegally. And I want as much as possible, I want us to lay aside our prior opinions so that we can look afresh at this issue through a biblical lens. Okay, now here's what is so challenging and exciting to me about this particular topic as it relates to God's justice. As I, as I mentioned a few moments ago, there are two aspects of God's justice. There is the retributive side of God's justice, that he upholds right and wrong, he punishes evil. And there is the compassionate side of God's justice. He sides with the vulnerable, the oppressed, those who have no voice. And whatever issue we're looking at, we have to keep both of those aspects of God's justice in, in mind, in play. It is not an either or. God's justice includes both the retributive and the compassionate aspects. They both reflect his heart of love. Now, when it comes to the issue of immigration, people tend to land on and kind of camp out in one side or the other. So for those on the retributive side, immigration is a clear issue of lawbreaking. People have come into our country illegally and they need to be removed, period. So the solution on this side is strengthening our borders. It's increasing law enforcement to remove anyone who is not here legally. Now, now again, we need to understand that this perspective is rooted in God's justice, his retributive justice. The Bible clearly reveals a God who cares about laws. He came up with the Ten Commandments. He establishes consequences for breaking laws. We, we can't just throw out the window this aspect of justice and say law-breaking doesn't matter. It does matter. It is crucial to a healthy society. I mean, look at what Paul says in, in the book of Romans chapter 13. 
Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Okay, so that's one side of this issue, God's retributive justice. And there are many Christians who view the issue of immigration solely through this lens, and they have scriptures, they have scriptural support for that. Now, the other side on this issue focuses on God's compassionate justice. And there are lots of scriptures supporting this as well. For instance, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 10. So in this passage, Moses is revealing to the people what their God is like. And this is what he says. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. This is a fascinating passage in terms of what it reveals about God's heart. It says that God loves the foreigner. That's the word used, loves. The word, now, the word foreigner here is the Hebrew, translated foreigner, it's the Hebrew word ger, and it, it can be translated foreigner, or it can also be translated sojourner or alien. Now, I think sojourner best captures the, the actual meaning of this Hebrew word. Alien sounds like some sci-fi movie, and foreigner could be anyone from a different country. But this word, ger, this Hebrew word, specifically refers to a person who leaves their own village or country or nation because of a specific crisis. It could be war. It could be economic reasons like famine. Their family was starving, so they went to a different country to live. They, they were not citizens. They were sojourners. Now, the Bible is filled with examples of sojourners, some pretty, you know, well-known people. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Ruth and Naomi, Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt with their baby Jesus. Our Savior was at one time a sojourner in a foreign land. The people of Israel were sojourners for 400 years in Egypt and later in Babylon. This is so much a part of the history of God's people. In fact, did you notice in, in Deuteronomy 10, the reason God commands his people to love the sojourner, look at this, and you were to love those who were foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. See, he is drawing upon their own experience as foreigners Remembering how they were treated in Egypt. It was not good. 400 years of being in bondage as slaves. And God says, you know what it feels like to be, to be mistreated because you're a foreigner. And so God is saying, I want you, he's saying to his people, I want you to see foreigners through that lens, through the lens of compassion and love. Now, what is so fascinating is how many times in the books of the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, how many times God gives specific laws for how the Israelites were to treat foreigners with kindness, compassion, generosity, hospitality, not taken advantage of. Now, I realize that Israel was a theocracy 
and not a democracy and that these laws were given to a different culture. But let's not dismiss the heart behind all of these laws. God loves sojourners. This is a justice issue. He has compassion on people who have had to flee their country for economic or safety reasons because he knows how vulnerable they are and how challenging it can be to live in a different culture where you have, when you have no standing, no voice, no economic means. So this aspect of God's justice, this, this compassionate side, it urges us to see immigrants through the lens of compassion and love, to care for them like our own family. Now, the biblical idea of compassion is putting ourselves in the shoes of another person, right? Okay, so let's do that for just a moment. Imagine, imagine that you were living somewhere where food is scarce and where jobs are nowhere to be found and you have young children to feed. Or imagine that you're living somewhere where your children are in danger of being kidnapped by the drug cartel and you are being pressured to pay them for protection or else you will be murdered. And you know they mean it because the mayor of your city was murdered just a few weeks ago. How would you respond? How, how would you respond if you lived in that situation? What links would you go to in order to have your family be in a place where they could be safe and fed and financially secure? Now, for those on the retribution side, I don't want us to skip over this too quickly. What would you do for the sake of your family? What is God's heart toward a family in that situation? These are not just numbers. These are real people. I think of a single mom who, in the midst of an extremely difficult financial situation in Honduras, came into the United States illegally and began to raise a family here in our country. One of her children is our worship pastor, Rocky Martinez. Any movement toward a biblical solution to the immigration issue must, must, must not only include the retributive aspect of God's justice, but also his compassion. You see, if we plant ourselves firmly on one side or the other, we're going to miss some aspect of God's healing justice. Okay, so this is where it gets fun. So it is in, in, in this place of tension that the hard work of healing justice can happen, where, where we are committed to both aspects of God's justice, and we try to figure out a way, ways that both of these can be upheld. Okay, so what might this look like? Well, I want to mention a few ideas that have been put forth by an organization called the Evangelical Immigration Table. They have done a ton of work and thinking about this issue practically and biblically. And I find their perspective really helpful in moving this conversation forward. Their, their goal is a bipartisan solution on immigration that embraces six principles. And I feel like these do a great job articulating both aspects of God's justice. Okay, so here are the six principles. They're calling for a bipartisan solution on immigration that one respects the God-given dignity of every person. We've talked about this throughout this series, that this is the foundation for healing justice. It's that every person is created in the image of God and has dignity. Two, that protects the unity of the immediate family. 
The family is central to God's heart. For children to be separated from parents is a traumatic thing for everyone. Third principle, it respects the rule of law. As I mentioned a few moments ago, without laws, you have anarchy that hurts everyone. Fourth, that guarantees secure national borders. I mean, open borders is not a solution. You lose any ability to even be a nation if there is no border security. Fifth, that ensures fairness to taxpayers. This is a huge issue in many people's minds, and understandably so, a concern that immigrants are taking advantage of, of the system. Now, now, many studies actually show that most immigrants do pay their fair share of taxes. But regardless, any just solution moving forward needs to uphold this. And finally, the sixth principle They're looking for a bipartisan solution that establishes a path toward legal status and or citizenship for those who qualify and who wish to become permanent residents. Now, this is a huge one, and there is quite a bit of confusion about this. See, a lot of people will say, hey, illegal immigrants who are here in our country, they just need to go stand in line and go through the process to become legal residents. What we need to realize as compassionate Law-abiding Christians, what we need to realize is that for most undocumented people, there is no line to stand in. There is no simple process for them to come out of the shadows and make things right. Most do not fit any of the limited categories of people who qualify for immigration status under existing law, like a certain level of education, or those who have been officially declared by the U.S. government as a persecuted people. Those people qualify. But for the vast majority, it is not a question of them being unwilling to wait their turn in line. They would be willing The problem is there is no line in which they qualify to wait. So for them to come out of the shadows and to try to find a line means risking possible deportation when some of them have been here for decades. They have jobs. They have families. This is their home. And can I just say some of them are a part of our church family. They love Jesus. They attend church here. Their children are in our children's ministry. They, 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 they are not just people out there. Some of them are brothers and sisters in Christ in our church. So what can be done about this aspect of this situation? To simply offer amnesty, pretending that these undocumented immigrants have not broken the law and then just automatically extending to them citizenship would not honor the law. But on the other hand, a mass deportation would be economically and emotionally disastrous. And to just keep the status quo is not helping anyone. So what the Evangelical Immigration Table proposes is to create an earned legalization process, including some form of restitution. So immigrants who are unlawfully here in our country would be able to, would be able to come forward and admit they violated immigration law, and they would enter into a process where they would pay a fine, some restitution, they would pay a fine. They would undergo undergo a criminal background check so so that we're not keeping serious criminals here, and they would begin paying taxes if they hadn't been. 
At the end of that process, they could then apply to be lawful, permanent residents of the United States. See, the reality is most immigrants want to make things right. They do. They want to go through a legitimate process so that they can come out of the shadows. But right now, there isn't one. There, there isn't a simple process. The system is very confusing, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Now, if you want more details about these principles in this proposal, check the or click on the Healing Justice link below this video for their website and also a free ebook that is excellent. It's called Thinking Biblically About Immigration. Now, my point here is that there are solutions that can enable us to uphold both the retributive justice of God and the compassionate justice of God. But we need to be willing to humble ourselves and embrace both sides of this issue. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves and embrace both sides of this issue, humble ourselves, embrace both sides of this issue so that we can move God's healing justice forward in this area and not just this area, but in our entire lives. I mean, Isaiah 58 has powerfully shown us a window into the heart of God that we be a people who loose the chains of injustice, who lift burdens, who feed the hungry, and who stand up for the vulnerable. God says that when we do this, he will respond in amazing ways. I mean, just listen to the language God uses to describe how he will respond when we take steps to seek his justice in these ways. I get chills when I read this passage, seriously. I mean, just imagine this in your mind. What kind of impact the church of Jesus Christ could have in our society and our world today if these things were true of us? This is from Isaiah 58. If, if we do all the things he's talking about, this is what God promises. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets, with dwellings. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a movement of God's spirit that brings healing and restoration to our community and our nation. That sounds a lot like a revival, right? I want to be a part of a movement that brings that kind of healing and restoration to our community and our nation. And God shows us in Isaiah 58 exactly how we can open the door to all of these blessings. Loose the chains of injustice. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the wanderer with shelter. And your light will shine in the darkness. Now, usually at the end of a message, I pray. But Isaiah 58 was written to a group of people who were praying. <laughs> and God said to them, I want you to take action. I want you to take action. 
So let's take a moment, and I want us just, each one of us as we're watching this, I want us to take a moment and ask the Lord this one question. Lord, what action do you want me to take in light of your words in Isaiah 58? So take a moment and ask the Lord that question. Obviously, this is a big question. I encourage you to continually ask the Lord this question this coming week, this coming month. Just ask the Lord to open your eyes to see and to take action. And let me just mention, we have in our, our newsletter and also linked below a list of organizations that are working in our community in these various areas. I want to encourage you, if you're interested in taking an exit but don't know exactly what to do, check out those organizations. Email them. Um, begin to volunteer with them. And let's be a part of moving God's healing justice forward. So God bless you as you seek his healing justice.